0: Was doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got. Brain. We're doing it. We're
2: literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving <laughs> forward from
0: this point on, I will not make
2: reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team.
1: I will be very careful. Mike slinging stuff. Am i gonna get two? You got legal on this? I yeah, like the ball, like football season, all the things that go with it.
2: Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzola, Sam Monson, live-ish, here on a Friday afternoon. Excited about what we have coming. Live to tape. Live to tape. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. live to tape for those for those uh, who understand at home. Uh, special thanks to Trevor Sykema, Mike Renner, filling in for us admirably yesterday, breaking down Mike Renner's mock draft. Go watch it. Go listen to it if you haven't already. Uh, most people do because it had mock draft in the title. Yeah. And that's draws um, that in the people Yeah It's not clickbait But it's bait For sure People click on it not
1: clickbait But it's bait
2: Yeah okay. So uh, we have a very special guest today Rick Spielman Formerly of the Minnesota Vikings Working mm-hmm. for CBS Sports now Just saw him over at the Super Bowl You got to meet him in person At the farm For the first time Yeah at the farm We had a, we had a big party at the farm Skeeter's farm Formerly fe- Skeeter's farm It's the farm Yeah It's now the farm uh, one of the few parties we were invited to <laughs> at uh, during Super Bowl week. Us and like 10,000 other people. Yeah, uh, But that was great. We got to meet with Rick and um, we asked for an hour of his time. And we got, I think, an hour and a half. I mean, it, was a, it was a long discussion. Yeah, more than that. That we have coming up here. So we're just going to throw it right to that. Um, but first... I need to tell you what this is brought to you by. So, talk for a second here while I forgot to pull up my ads.
1: Well, it's brought to you by the wonderful people of Western and Southern, right? The studio. It's always it is. always powered by Western and Southern, hence the plaque on the wall behind us.
2: Thank you for talking about their greatness while I talk more specifically about the read that I haven't memorized yet. Mm. But our listeners have the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored. By Western and Southern Financial Group, while you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. So there we go. Special thanks to Western and Southern. Good to be back in our home studio. So let's go right to our interview with Rick Spielman and then we'll come back and uh, talk about it just a little bit. All right, We are very excited to be joined by former Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman, a return to the show. Sam, you weren't here when uh, Rick and I got to chat last time. Rick, welcome back, man.
0: Yeah, hopefully it'll go a lot better with Sam in control now and we'll be able (laughs) to uh, actually share knowledge of uh, the draft process and everything going on in the NFL.
1: Somebody's got to keep Steve in line
0: i We got great feedback from our
2: last discussion, Rick. A lot of people loved you know some of the, the inside football that you could uh that you could bring to the table so let's let's start with some of the coaching hires. I think just like from a process as a whole, um you're the general manager and you're working with uh, ownership and everything. what does the the head coach process look like for you and um what are you looking for in a head coach first of all, and then we get into some of the specific hires
0: yeah, no. I think in general you have to sit with your ownership group and decide what does your football team need because there are a lot of good coaches out there, but just like when you're selecting a player to fit your scheme, you're trying to select a head coach that will fit, you know, some of the culture that's in your building, but you need to change that culture. That's probably why you had a coaching change. But what direction does your football team need to go? So in a lot of the coaching hires that I was involved with, the ownership gave a directive on this is where we're at as an organization. This is what we need to improve on in whatever aspect of the organization, whether it's culture in the locker room, performance on the field, which is probably a, a given, um, how you're going to build the roster. And then you kind of lay that out and then you start to identify candidates that may fit that profile. I think the most important thing is to go in with a very wide view and not a narrow view. Uh, So you don't, I never believe that you wanna say, okay, we need an offensive coach or we need a defensive coach or we need this. Let's look at all the candidates because you don't know. And once you get through the interview process, it may surprise you on a guy that Okay, he wasn't our top candidate, but after we went through this process with him, he is definitely have to be considered for the job. So I think it's changed a lot, too, with the NFL being more involved and trying to um, make sure that um, the minorities out there who deserve a chance get an opportunity and not just check a box, because there's a lot of very qualified, not only minority coaches, but minority personnel people that need to get their chance and so i think that's why you just have to go in with a plan uh but make sure that the search is not a narrow search but a wide open search
1: what's the the kind of breakdown kind of percentage wise of the various areas you're looking at when you're trying to target a head coach because everybody just sort of assumes that you get a great offensive coordinator or a great defensive coordinator those guys have got a track record and therefore they'll be good nfl head coaches but nfl head coach is like six or seven different jobs all rolled up into one and just because a guy is a great coordinator or a great play caller doesn't mean that they're going to be a great leader or that they're great in you know time management situations in game and all the various other things that a head coach has to do so how do you kind of break down that during those um, interviews of this is how much we care about his kind of football acumen this is how much we care about the leadership this is how much we care about the other things
0: well, I think it's if you're interviewing a guy, you've figured his football knowledge should be pretty good <laughs> or else you're not interviewing the uh, starting point, the right guy. Uh, but those are the other things because you've seen a lot of guys that were great coordinators, even guys that were great position coaches, but then they get at the coordinator level or a coordinator going to a head coach level. They don't become great head coaches. And the reason is not because they don't have knowledge of football, but it's because of all those other areas that you just mentioned, whether it's leadership, whether it's, you know, game management, all those situations that you mentioned. How do you deal with an off-field incident when you get a call at 4 in the morning? Uh, How do you deal with a coach that's having an issue with a player? There's a lot of other things that are involved in it. So we try to always – during the interview process try to put the candidates in situations as much as you could to see how they react without them being rehearsed coming in with the okay here's my book and okay i'm going to go through a to z this i'm going to schedule x y and z but you try to and at least i thought it was interesting to try to put them in scenarios that they weren't prepared for to see how they would react and respond to that and i got you know, the idea and learned it a lot from working with uh, some of the special forces and special ops leaders on how they prepare their units to go out and function at the very high level. And they have to do it with a lot of, I would say the best way, things flying around at the same time. So how can you handle all of those situations? And, you know, now I know teams are starting to get into the, psychological testing of coaches to try to get a measure of their personality, a measure of, you know, how they are going to respond to adverse situations, how they think under pressure. Just like you're trying to find that in players, I think you're trying to find that in coaches right now. But it seems to be the trend in hiring has been all these – it started, I think, with Sean McVay, these young, brilliant-minded offensive coaches that can take quarterbacks because it's such – a quarterback driven league, uh how we go what's the answer to the quarterback? And how are we going to if we have one, for example, I'm sure we'll talk about Jonathan Gannon and they already are married to Kyler Murray. How are you going to make him better? Or Indianapolis situation. We don't have a quarterback. How are we going to get that? Or Indy. A lot of it seemed to be really heading into to the or where owners seem to be going is to the offensive side of the ball and all this brilliant mind, but I think you can't discount like what leadership brings. And okay, if I'm a defensive specialist uh, like Jonathan Gannon, um, you know, like the Marco uh, D'Amico Ryan's down at Houston, who are you going to bring in opposite you on the offensive side of the ball to to? To make sure they're an expert in that area as well so there's a lot of a lot of different things you're trying to balance to come up with the correct uh to correct hire we definitely had we have we've had we've seen more defensive
2: coaches you know uh Matt Ibraflus last year with the Bears and everything everybody thought well you have to get the next brilliant offensive mind, like you said right to develop Justin Fields and they went defensive side with Ibraflus Jonathan Gannon going to uh Arizona and we've uh D'Amico Ryans who you mentioned it is interesting right because as you said earlier, Sam, too, right? You guys both said coordinators don't necessarily make better head coaches. So um, got to get the right guy, right? Um, you ever play Madden football with a, uh, with a coach on an interview? We, we theorized no. because of game management, maybe there should be like a, a Madden game where it's like, all right, coach, you going for it here? Or what are you doing?
0: No, I brought out the old electronic board that you used to line up all the little guys on, and it vibrated. And it's it sh- okay, six-two monster stack. What are you going to do?
1: Here? Old school. <laughs> that I was like as, it.
0: that was as close to Madden as I got. <laughs> Don't
2: see too many six-two monster stacks around the NFL as much. <laughs> Sam, do you have anything else on the on the coaching front?
1: No, just obviously a lot of speculations going around right now with eric b and the success that kansas city has had but why Bieniemy can't seem to get a head coaching job to the point where he's taking what a lot of people seem to think is a lateral step if not a step backwards going to be potentially offensive coordinator at washington you know without obviously, i, I would actually
0: disagree with you and look at it as a step forward because i and maybe you disagree with me and that's why we're here on this show and i Look forward to any disagreements on what I'm saying with you two. Uh, but he's been under Andy Reid yeah. and he's done a great job with Patrick Mahomes. But Patrick Mahomes could make, and I'm not discrediting Andy Reid because I think he's a Hall of Fame coach and what he's able to accomplish, not only in Philly, but in Kansas City. But if, uh, EB Eric Viennemi can go, let's say to the Washington Commanders, wh- who they have at quarterback, Sam Howe. That's the only, I'm, I'm assuming they're going to. Uh, release Carson Wentz just uh, for cap purposes and to move on. And I think they made a commitment to Sam Howe. Now you're going to a place where Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded coach. So you know he's in charge of the offense. You know he's calling all the offensive plays. He's putting the game plan with his staff. And as much as they can say that he did that in Kansas City, it was always the Andy Reid show no matter what offensive coach was there. And I think this is an opportunity for him to go out and prove that, hey, I'm not under the umbrella or the, uh, I don't want to say shield of Andy Reid. I, I can go out there and look look what I did at, at, uh, with the Washington Commanders, with a defensive coach, and I became in full control of the offense, and I ran the show on that side of the ball, which may make a difference potentially in him becoming a head coach
1: yeah I think it does I mean I guess the argument is that it feels like a step backwards in order to take the big step forward that he's looking for or that people think he should have had already Um, like do you think that that's the reason he's not getting this head coaching job that he's looking for is that people just can't determine how much of it is be how much of it is Andy Reid how much of it is Patrick Mahomes and they basically need him to go somewhere else to prove that he can do it without those guys
0: yeah, and I don't, I've don't. i never sat in a head coaching interview with him, so I don't know why he specifically has not got a head coaching job. He was the running back coach when I first got to Minnesota uh, with Brad Childress. And first guy he had to deal with was Adrian Peterson. I remember my first draft, we drafted Adrian Peterson. And I can tell you this, he has a command of the room. Uh, he has command of those players. He can be hard on his players. Um, he can build a relationship with those players, and you can go back and look through all of the articles on players that have played for him. We used to do that, um, you know, on how they responded to his style of coaching. But I think Eric Biennemi is an excellent football coach, and I hope this move, and I, I, I believe it's a move forward for him to potentially go have success in Washington for a year or two, that eventually he would get an opportunity to be a head coach in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think I agree with that. the The idea
2: of you know Andy Reid, so I do agree with you on that, Rick. I'm not well, Steve, always it's agree- first
0: time we've agreed on something, and yeah, it? it's about time. <laughs>
2: it's about time. I mean, Andy, you have those two plays in the Super Bowl,
0: right? Wide open passes, and I, would, I always say, Great I love play calls because they yeah. put in that motion and then kind of returned them and it screwed up the uh, Philadelphia secondary. There two it was touchdowns.
2: It was incredible. I mean, but like the instant reaction is. Great job, Andy Reid. Look at Andy Reid; he's a genius and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, like Andy's going out of his way to be like, "Oh, Eric, you know, he came up with these plays and everything." So, like, that's the element of it, right? You've, if it truly is Eric B. that's like red zone genius for the Chiefs, he does get to go prove that, right? He does get to go prove that in Washington, you know, and and leave um, where he's being overshadowed just a little bit. Um, I want to pivot a little bit to, you know, the role of a GM sitting here in mid February combine's coming up in two weeks what is the what does the job look like for a general manager right now pre-combine leading up to the draft I'm sure
0: it's uh nice and easy right yeah no we're just doing podcasts most of the day you know (laughs) just (laughs) jumping on wherever we can
2: yeah just stealing an hour here and there in between evaluating players how much do you know about the draft like what are you preparing for what do you what do you what work needs to get done heading into well it, it depends
0: where you're at in your organization if you just hired a new head coach uh my responsibility was helping uh, the head coach hire the staff, but I was doing all the coaches' contracts. Uh, we had the pro department working on free agency. We actually gave our coaches the uh, list of free agents that they had to start watching and get prepared for March 17th. And then also, we had ten day, eight to nine days of draft meetings with the college scouts. So as a general manager, you may be jumping in the, the draft meetings uh, you're with the pro people jumping in with the uh, unrestricted free agent meetings. Uh, you may be still working to finalize your staff and working on coaches' contracts. Uh, you're also working with your cap guy on planning on where you're going to be from a cap position standpoint. Uh, but it all started with, and I worked in, in buckets, so we had to first evaluate our football team. And a lot of times... The role of a general manager to sit back is, okay, you don't have a specific relationship with these players like a coach does. Coach is in a meeting with him every day. Coach knows his family. They go out to dinner. They're practicing in games. So you have to kind of be um, the guy where you're just taking out any personal relationships and just hone in on what's the best business decisions. So the first thing you got to do is evaluate your talent on the roster. And you have to be upfront and honest because coaches can get biased, especially if they like a guy, especially if it's a veteran that already knows the system. Well, we can't replace this guy. He already knows what to do. He's a good backup. And then the response is, well, we can't have 53 guys making a million, a million and a half bucks up on our roster. We're going to have to replace some of these guys because we just can't afford them all. So you have to make tough decisions on your own personnel first. And a lot of times it may be unfair uh, because the guy's been a great guy, he's been a great leader in the locker room, great in the community, uh, but maybe he's getting older and not worth the contract that he's getting paid. So you have to definitely start planning from a cap standpoint and from a roster standpoint, we're gonna have to let player X, Y, and Z go. Then you have to understand the strength of the free agent market. So for example, if it's a real strong, let's say running back class in the free agent market, and it's a very weak running back class in the draft, then you say, okay, we're gonna try to attack the running back need in the free agent market. Um, Or if it's an offensive line issue and it's a weak class in free agency, but it's a very strong class in the draft. We're not going to address it in free agency. We're going to address it in the draft when it comes around in April. So you're kind of working in those buckets and kind of weaving everything together to come up with a total off-season game plan. Uh, I always presented that to the ownership along with our cash and our cap analysis on where we're going to be, and that has to get approved as well. But you're not sitting around doing podcasts. You're going <laughs> pretty much 24-7, seven days a week. Because once you do get down to the combine, not that this happens, but there's a lot of agents down there. And technically, you're meeting the player, your players' agents on what the game plan is going forward. But it's amazing how many other players they also <laughs> have in the league. But it's... Uh, funny because it's like everybody's asking for kazillions of dollars down at the combine and then when you get the the legalized negotiating period two days before the uh free agency period begins and the new league year begins then you start to get a sense and a reality where actually the uh, price of these players are going to be
1: that's right there's there's weeks between the combine and the legally legal tampering period so it's amazing how far along some of these deals seem to be that's that one of my point. later
2: questions we'll get to that we'll get to that
1: um, how much of the evaluation stuff whether it's um your own team the nfl free agency class the draft etc cetera, etc cetera, how much of that is you personally as an nfl gm being up to speed on every one of these players versus you sort of accumulating the opinions of all the guys below you in these various kind of buckets and staff meetings and then kind of coalescing that into one game plan like how up to speed are you as a gm on like everybody in your team everybody in the nfl and then everybody in the draft because that's an absolute ton of players to have any kind of handle on
0: yeah that's a good thing pff has all those algorithms you'd never be able to get through all these guys
1: (laughs) finally time savers look we agreed
0: again pff (laughs) making things
2: easier for the draft and free agency
0: No, you have to know your team as a general manager. And I, you know, I wrote up every player every week. So then we had a big meeting with the coaches and the personnel staff. Everybody gave their opinions. And we always came up with a Minnesota Viking grade or an organizational grade. I may not have agreed, but there was a we had to get a consensus in that room. And if there wasn't a consensus, what we used to do Uh, especially when we got into free agency in the draft, is we had what we called cluster meetings. So if there was a group of guys that we felt similar in ability, but we didn't agree on one guy over another, then a lot of times we would just sit there and do group study. So um, we would have initial meetings, let's say, in free agency. After the initial meetings, I would write down where there were some disagreements or difference in opinions we would come back and then rewatch the tape together as a group so I can hear everybody's opinion. Uh, I usually try to just look at the guys in free agency on the guys that we were potentially interested in. Uh, I didn't have a chance to sit through the thousands or hundreds of uh, unrestricted free agents that we were going to be interested in. So I'd really try to have them hone down a list for me on the college side I try to get as much done as I could before the combine, but that's difficult to do because you have the month of March and April to catch up on a lot of the college stuff. I had an idea. I try to get maybe 20 schools done during the fall. Uh, and then once December, January came around, then you were kicked into, you know, I was trying to get caught up with the free agency and the off season planning and everything. But usually a general manager will have an idea won't be able to see all the players at the combine i made sure i saw the top four rounds at least before the uh before the draft came around if there was any outliers out there that came up through our meetings and i'd try to go back and 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 look at them as well yeah so how you touched on
2: it a little bit like how much is actual actual scouting as the general manager I, i think as a fan you're like oh the 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 general manager is just going to evaluate players and then pick them. And you're describing, a complete, obviously, a completely more complicated scenario where it's like I'm an information filterer, basically. But at what point right. are you interjecting your own scouting acumen either to free agency? We'll talk about the draft in a minute, but free agency, your team, and all that stuff.
0: Well, once we got through the meetings, then I can go back and kind of put together, assess where we were, what players we were going to be interested in. I would then go back and whether I would stay in late at night or coming in on the weekends were great because no one was in the office and you had a lot of time to uh not be interrupted watching tape. So then I would be able to get caught up on the tape then and then come back together, like I said, as a group. So here's the get plan I am presenting in free agency. Shared that with everybody, make sure everybody was in agreement, shared that with the ownership, and then we would try to proceed forward from there. And it's the same process once we get to the draft, um, but it is, uh, a lot of times people don't realize the general manager role has changed uh, there because there's so many other areas that you're dealing with. I bet you uh, with, with my role and how it evolved in Minnesota, maybe 20% ended up being personnel and trying to really catch up because you're dealing with 80% of all the administrative things that are going on as well, not just salary cap and contract negotiations, but you're dealing with medical, your, psych, your uh, mental health team, your equipment, your video. You have a lot of other things that fall under your responsibility as well that you have to deal with on a daily basis.
2: You told me last time you were, you know, editing videos for
0: the social media team and everything, right? I mean, you. Yeah. You had your yeah. No, I made sure before anything went out on our com site that I it was approved. So part time video there and editor. Watch everything. Watch photos to make sure that if we were in OTAs, there was no contact going on that was, you know, put out on our com site. Um, so, yeah, I did a, a lot of editing on other areas just besides uh, just besides film. Which, of course,
2: prepared you for your future as a TikTok star. So that's good. <laughs> He's got a lot a lot of experience there. One, one of my questions, too, because you're talking about like all the information coming. You've got a pro scouting department, college scouting department. Where does the quote-unquote analytics, analytics department – So where does that fit in, though? Like, Are you just getting – is the analytics team – Right you I, I know some of the people that have you know were on your staff, really smart people, right? Are they going off on their own saying, "Here's who we think the best players are in free agency or the draft, like completely separate from pro Scouts and college Scouts, and that's just another avenue of information for you?
0: Yeah, I, I try to keep everybody we would share eventually, but I wanted everybody to be an independent thinker. Sure. I didn't want okay, our analytics team. They came up with, and they are brilliant, Scott Kuhn and uh, Rex Johnson and and, uh, all those guys, Chris French, I thought were invaluable to our decision-making process, but I didn't want them to come in and influence a meeting on what a scout said, or I didn't want a scout to influence what they thought. Eventually, uh, especially in the draft, when we came together in the end, we would bring everybody together in the same room and... You know, the analytics department, I don't want to go down the draft rabbit hole yet, but I want to explain to how that really helped eliminate, you know, it helped make decisions, but it helped eliminate players that couldn't play. And so, um, and we can talk about that, you know, when you give me a directive on when you go down that route, but I thought that was a uh, yeah. very interesting process that really helped us find the Adam Thelans of the world, the C.J. Hams of the world, Uh, Marcus Sherrill's of the world we had a lot of pretty good success in late round and free agent guys
1: yeah one of the questions I had is is how you kind of balance the returns from the draft which are it's not like they're lucky but they're very noisy right like everybody's strike rate is relatively low when it comes to picking good NFL players in the draft you hear this the draft is a crapshoot thing obviously it's not quite that random but nobody is batting a thousand here so how do you kind of balance the results that you get from the draft with self-scouting and figuring out what was variance versus what was you actually gaining an edge in in this particular area or having a weakness at this particular area like is it difficult to figure out what you're good at as an organization when it comes to player evaluation because the results of the draft are so noisy
0: yeah we, we tried to do i called it uh, i was really big on uh, we called aar and that's a uh, Military term after action review on everything that we missed on, we would go back and review. Why did we miss on it? Was it something in a psychological testing score? Was it something, you know, that we missed in the character? Was it something that we missed in the medical? Was it something that we just over or under evaluated? So we would try to really go back and dive into the mistakes or the misses that we made, and then figure out the reason why. So hopefully we wouldn't make those same mistakes again or miss on a player that we said couldn't play, which I think is just as important. And they do actually end up playing. So um, we spent a lot of time assessing things that, um, like I said, that we needed to improve on, because I think you could have your systems in place, uh, everything, the way you run your systems. But if you don't go back, and reassess everything you're doing and try to prove it every year, then you're just going to get passed by. You're going to end up making the same mistakes over and over again.
1: Did you guys ever come away with that concluding that there was an area that you just aren't great at projecting and like, should a team Yeah, like we. The, yeah, we like actually
0: um, hook each, including myself. We graded all our, every player that we graded, regardless of position, uh and then we would put a hit rate on what our success was at that that position and we would put a hit rate on what our success rate was predicting a player would not make the nfl which i don't i don't think is people i think that part's overlooked so for example I knew what my areas that I was a strong grader in and I was a weak grader in. I knew our college director, our coaches, uh, our area scouts, guys that were strong in a particular position, those would be our cross-check guys. They would team up with our position coaches. Um, For example, if I was, let's say, I was good at evaluating a receiver, okay? But I was not good at predicting if a receiver couldn't play. But I had a a very high-level uh, talent evaluator on my staff that his hit rate was 98%. If he said that player was not going to be able to play in the NFL, he was 98% correct. Yeah. So when we're sitting there in a draft and he said, this guy can't play, I would kind of sway my – influence towards what he was saying because that's a pretty good hit rate if you can say 98% of the time this guy isn't going to play in NFL but that was broken down by Scout um, and I wanted to make sure that I, w- I definitely was including in that because I had to know my strengths and weaknesses as well what are your and strengths
2: then, what are your strengths we- and weaknesses
0: huh what are your
2: strengths and weaknesses sorry to interrupt. I think
0: I'm pretty good at that's getting used to this podcast stuff and BSing <laughs> my way through these shows and I'm now what's your best position? At, to huh? eval-
2: what's your best position for evaluating for evaluating? I
0: think I, the two things I I probably were strongest at was probably the receiver position that uh and I would say probably linebacker were the two strongest areas that I had. Um you know <clears throat> a lot of times that I may be the only one in the room um that agreed on something, um, but then if I couldn't get everybody on the same page or we couldn't all get on the same page, then we would just not, we weren't going to do, you know, take that player. So that's the hardest part is doing all that work and all that process to get everybody to buy in. And and it's not always going to happen, but the rule we had in, if the decision is made, regardless if you agreed or disagreed, he is a Minnesota Viking now, or he is on our team now, so it's everybody's responsibility to make sure that that kid has the best chance of having success when he shows up for our, in our organization.
1: You need to go and consult for the Patriots and teach them how to draft receivers because they <laughs> they don't appear to be very good at it. Oh, I had my share of
2: misses too, believe me. <laughs> well, that was so that was like the first off. We had a our, our <laughs> old boss used to say, "Disagree but commit." Right? You could disagree, but you got to commit once right. a decision's made. And right? if you
0: don't have total buy-in, then the kid has no chance.
2: Yeah. So the, the reason why we asked that question was maybe drawn from the Patriots, right? Like they have a history of just not, like they're a great organization, but they have a history of just missing on receivers in the draft. And the question was like, would you ever say, we're so bad at this, we're not going to try it again. We'll go to free agency, we'll trade, we'll do this other stuff, but we're just not going to draft a receiver. Or do you say, okay, we have, to, we have to figure out how to be better at this over time?
0: That that's whatever. That's what coaches do in the off season, right? They're trying to figure out how do we get better running the football. How does our schemes get better? I think it applies to the same thing on the personnel side. If we keep missing on this particular position, how do we get better so we're not keep missing on the same damn thing? Or what are we doing that we're not seeing that everybody else is seeing? And try to delve into that. And that was a lot of the uh, summer projects that we did after the draft.
2: So does your, um, first off, if you paired with PFF, you know, I, I, I say our strengths are more in the trenches and, um, you know, O-line D-line and we had you know, our weaknesses might be wide receiver and linebacker. So there we go. We could, uh, we, could create we great did experience.
0: use PFF was an integral part of our analytics <laughs> part, uh, as, as we put the whole thing together and thought in all honesty, it was a valuable tool for us as, uh as we tried to make decisions.
1: By the way, was that kind of how the process worked? Because you were there when Minnesota traded for Jared Allen, right? So, yes. and that was after a few years of kind of drafting defensive ends high up in the draft. None of them really worked out. And then it felt like institutionally. Uh, the yeah, Vikings... I don't know if
0: I drafted any defensive ends. My first draft was Adrian.
1: No, but it felt like sort of institutionally the Vikings just kind of felt we've, we have we haven't yeah. gotten this right for a few years let's just go for the guarantee that is Jared Allen being a superstar and trade whatever it takes to make that happen.
0: Well, I I think it was, um, you know, analytics back then was not as prevalent as it is today. And all the tools and resources that are here today weren't available back then. Um, so it was, that was a different scenario where it was a unique opportunity to go get a unique player, um, that was coming up on a – that was going to be available. Uh So we tried to do everything we could to take advantage of it. And I knew if we were able to get a Jared Allen, we probably weren't going to land a first-rounder with that type of talent. Um, but you're seeing more and more of that now. Yeah. I think, you know, what was – way Howie went aggressively and got A.J. Brown and what a difference that made in that football team. You know, Arizona traded for a Hollywood Brown last year, although that didn't work out as well. But you're seeing more and more teams become more and more aggressive on proven commodities uh, than maybe there have been in the past. But more team, but you also have to have more people willing to trade those. Sure.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's 32 teams right now. So the idea of putting a trade together, right? The Eagles are at a different spot. In their team building process than the Titans, right? So you're just trying to find matches, right? It's like we're right. we're positioned to be more aggressive, whereas this other team might be positioned to accumulate draft picks or whatever it is, right? It, it does seem like yeah. there's a lot of different strategies from organizations. How do you work that? No, so like, how do your relationships with the 32 teams, knowing their situations, how do those? Uh, how does that facilitate trades and those discussions?
0: it just in general, our rule of thumb was that. You know, at the trade deadline, which there's more trades now, I think, at the trade deadline than there's ever been in the past. Um, trades before the season starts at the final cutdown. We had our pro personnel department divide up the 32 teams. Each of them would call their counter If there was anything that was potential, then that get kicked up to me and I would speak with my counter cart on that team. Um, probably the same thing going on now. The uh, biggest, the fun I won't say the funnest, the most time the talk started, were coming up in a couple weeks at the combine because everybody has just been through the process that I have described with, okay, assessing their team, where they're at cap wise, what direction they're going to go to improve their roster for next year, who may they want to potentially trade, So when you get everybody, all thirty-two decision makers together, and all these organizations together at the combine, there is a lot of initial discussion they get started there.
2: How how many deals have you made at Prime
0: Forty Seven? How many, uh, you know, how many of those discussions fruitful? I could never afford Prime Forty (laughs) Seven, so I try to do it at the Starbucks at the JW Marriott. We'll find a Starbucks
2: in a couple weeks here.
0: Yeah, maybe at a steak and shake or somewhere. It's, oh, uh, steak and shake! i two to I've three AM on. Yeah. yeah, the actually the Ricky Williams trade I made when I was in Miami was on a Hertz rental car bus. I was trying to get to my rental car going to a pro day. <laughs> That's it's amazing. amazing where things uh, can happen. Yeah, so we'll be at the combine
2: in a couple of weeks, and you know, for the the listeners who don't know, Prime Forty there's like three spots pretty much where. Many of the personnel are gathered, which is why I never want the combine to leave Indianapolis. Mm. Right? If it's in Vegas, you just don't know where everybody is. It's a whole new territory. It is in in Indy. It's uh, Prime Forty Seven. It's the J W Marriott. Any you know hotel lobby, your Starbucks and uh, Steak and Shake. You know, it's pretty much yep. and Steak and Shakes twenty four seven. You never know when you can uh, make a deal there in Indy. So. Um. Does your by the way, does your analytics team is that part of their role was to
0: kind of like evaluate your own evaluators? Is that oh yeah one of the ways? I, you're I didn't know using that them? unless yeah. they actually broke it down for me. So they would break down all the grades. We would take all the pro grades, and then that would would be how we determine whether it was a successful hit or not. And then that's how we assess how we were as evaluators. So, um, but you know, some of it could be where. A two-gap nose tackle may be a very Pro Bowl-type player in one specific scheme, but if he played in another scheme, and a scheme potentially we were running, he wouldn't be as an effective a player because his skill set didn't match the scheme. So you can't also forget about marrying the scheme set up with the, uh, the player's skill set as well. What
2: did you use to define success, right? Cause if you're saying, hey, what's our hit rate, well, what, you're hoping to hit? get
0: starters right in the first three rounds. Uh, you know, if you get lucky, you can get some in the fourth and fifth rounds, uh, which we had some success doing. Uh, I think you know, and I don't know if it's changed or not. If I think it was around maybe 11 percent, 10 percent of a hit rate in the later rounds in college free agency. But to me, if a hit, if we found a player in the seventh round that was a role player that helped us win games on special teams that can fill in and maybe get you through a game or two, we considered that a hit rate yeah. because that's a player that's helping you win in his specific role. Now, every once in a while, you get lucky and get a Stephon Diggs in the fifth round or, or you know, an Everson Griffin when he was rolling in the fourth round and there's various reasons why they were there that you take a swing. Um, but, hit rates were guys in those later rounds of free agents that came in and can fill a role on your football team. Didn't have to be a starter, but actually helped you win games in that particular role. How, real quick, I just, sorry, I just, I wanted to
2: follow up real quick. Uh, when you're, because you're, if you're evaluating the rest of the league, too, because you have grades on all these players, you want to know how they did elsewhere. What about evaluating those hits? Because it feels like football does focus on starts more than right. other sports. Like, this guy started, right? That Which is you know, one way of measuring Well, things. there's there guys were, that there start. are bad starters, that, though, right? Like, there are guys that, that are bad
0: starters, weapons. right? They're starting out of default. So you can say that's so how, why the grade was so important. How are you so judging important.
2: that? How are you judging? Like, so if there's a tackle who's like the worst tackle in the league, but he's starting, how are, are, are you saying, well, this guy's a backup? Yeah. How are yeah, you evaluating? We're
0: basing it based on how our staff graded him as a pro. I so, got you. Okay. So he could be a start. You could say he started 14 games in a league but he's no more than a backup. Yeah, uh, He just had a start out of the – that's the only thing they had left to start. That doesn't make him a starter in NFL. We define starter as a guy that you can go out there and line up and win 17 games with. Okay, yeah. And then a backup is a guy – there's specific areas of backups where, hey, this guy could come in, start six or seven games, hold his own, But eventually, he's going to get exposed if he has to go up, especially against what we refer to um, as Pro Bowl-type players or really good players, red and blue players in the NFL. Uh, Eventually, he's going to get exposed. But he can hold the fort, if you want to say, for five or six games so your starter gets back.
1: How far out are you guys managing your salary cap? Because sometimes it feels like teams are kind of continually surprised each free agent period by their own deals that are coming due or that the players that need to be signed or have their, their money rejigged. And then how how much of a kind of constriction is figuring out the quarterback contract and all that? Because you've got so many different ways now of teams juggling that the biggest piece on the salary cap. You've got the Mahomes deal, the ten year, you know, half a billion dollar contract. You've got these five year or even the Kirk Cousins deals, the shorter, fully guaranteed contracts. Like, how does that whole world work? We tried to plan out
0: three years as much as we could. The third year is a little etchy because you, you can't predict if a player is going to have a, an injury. but as the, the, the whole thought process process was, if you can draft well, those are the guys that you want to extend, and we did a lot of extensions in, in Minnesota. And we did them before they got to the last year of their contract almost everybody that we felt was a core player that we drafted we were they we would extend and then we would supplement with free agency on areas of needs but you know we would plan okay and we would say this if you go down this route and free agency we got player x up going into last year of his contract if we do this deal with this player in free agency, we may not be able to extend this guy because we're not going to have the room or resources to do that. So you're always balancing out, okay, as you go through your roster planning. And usually coaches, they were just honed in on what do we have to do this year. That's all they were worried about. But as a front office, at least the old school way is, you always wanted to make sure you had a competitive team You're in and you're out. And you always wanted to make sure you had enough resources that were going to be available a year or two for now, from now, especially if a Justin Jefferson is going to be coming up for a, a new deal or guys like that. So those are the things that you tried to predict going forward um, and make sure you had enough room to be able to retain your own players cuz those are the players that you knew the best those are the players that came up in your system those are the players that you didn't mind playing because you knew what you were paying for what was the thought process with the the Kirk Cousins deal being a little bit shorter fully
2: guaranteed it was you know it's unique you know compared to other NFL deals when you guys signed him coming it, off the NFC championship and everything
0: yeah that was unique because a Player like a Kirk Cousins at that age, at that position, never came available on the market. So the market dictated what the contract was going to be, uh, because there were a lot of teams involved in that. Um, and it was a fully guaranteed contract, but if we weren't going to do it, someone else was going to do it. Yeah. And so we felt that coming off the NFC championship game, I mean, Case Keenum had a great year for us. We got, uh, beat pretty badly in philadelphia started out well but after that it went downhill um so then we felt if we can go out and get a kirk cousins type quarterback and keep our roster technically because we had like a number one or number two defense in the league that year that maybe that will get us to the get, get us over the hump going forward so we thought it was a unique opportunity but unlike some of these other deals or trades that are happening Very rarely does a quarterback like a Kirk Cousins get out in the open market because I think the Washington, the Commanders now, uh, had franchised him two times in a row. So that was kind of a unique situation that we felt that we would uh, definitely need to go out and take a swing at.
2: So how does does team building change when you have the quarterback under a big contract versus the first contract quarterback? We hear those... We hear the buzzwords all the time. First contract quarterback, right? And the Eagles are going to have to make this decision soon, or very soon, with Jalen Hurts. How does your three-year plan change? Like, in, in
0: uh, Does the strategy you, when, when change? When you structure those example? contracts, you're structuring them knowing other players that are going to be coming up. So hopefully you're able, you know, most of the time players and agents are worried about how much money and how much guaranteed money they're going to get in the first three years of the deal. Yep. You know, years four, five, six, whatever it is, those can be a little bit more fluff than substance. It makes the agent look good. It makes a player look like I got a hundred million dollar deal here or there. But you're, I've, we always try to hone in on the first three years of the deal, the cash going out the door, the structure. And if we're able to structure this way, we know we got. X, Y, and Z coming up for contract extensions that we're going to have to do a year or two from now, we'll be able to still get those kind of contracts done and still have this contract in place. So that's why you always kind of took a three-year snapshot. Is that why the
2: Mahomes and Allen deals are so advantageous for the team, though? Like You can move all the money anywhere you want to match where your roster is at any given time versus maybe a, a shorter deal
0: yeah because it i mean it's the flexibility eventually you have to pay the credit card bill sure you can only you know eventually it comes due but you can push money out there's cap and cash are two different things there's cap accounting which there's ways to get around cap accounting to make sure you're always under but the cash out the door is a thing that owners always want to know and i fortunately worked for the will family who that was never an issue with them they always gave us the resources necessary To go out and do what we had to do but you had to have some kind of cash budget as well so you're managing your cash budget along with the cap part that's why the cap guys get paid all that money to figure out how they can make it work to fit underneath the hard cap but cash is a different story
1: how many uh how many owners in the nfl do you think that that isn't true for that i I don't know i've been
0: very fortunate uh Especially with the Will family, um, that they were never uh, did never never said no to anything that we wanted to try to do and we had to try to get football players in. They were very good at uh, providing everything possible and all the resources necessary.
2: List the top five cheapest owners in the <laughs> NFL. <Yeah. laughs> you would know. put it in your uh, algorithm. You can tell me, <laughs> Oh yeah, we could probably we could probably run that through. I want I want to circle back to the draft really quick because the the whole process is just fascinating, right? You've got so much information, so much work on thousands of players, and then bringing it into the draft board. Um, I can't remember if I asked you this last time around, but we talk a lot over here with our algorithms about positional value and not just finding good players, but clearly some positions you know affect wins more more than others. So when you're putting the draft board together, how do you factor in positional value, say a running back versus a tackle versus a safety versus I know quarterbacks are always in their own world, but how do you factor that in when you put the board together?
0: You know, we, we tried to uh, maybe this is old school thinking, um, but even when we interviewed a coach coming in, okay, you can have what you want to call four blue money players, or your, this is where your resources are going to go on offense. You can get four blue money players on defense the rest have to be Reds. Two have to be bargain-type players that have to start for you. Now, that bargain player can be a starter that's a pro bowler that's on a rookie contract, too. That's a bargain deal. Sure. So, um, But you have to identify with your coach and with your assist what's the most important positions where you're going to put all your finances. And then that way you know when, if, let's say, a – right guard just for example okay you have a solid right guard but that's not a position where you want to put a lot of financial commitment into then you know you're going to have to replace that probably with something cheaper in the draft so but you still don't want to not do everything you can to get the best players at each position you possibly can you can only afford and allocate so many resources to Certain positions, but I would never go into the draft and say, "Well, okay, a, um, an offensive guard." Well, we're not going to take uh, the kid from Indiana or Indianapolis. Uh, uh, quit Nelson. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, Nelson. Because okay, that's not a high That 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 guy's a heck of a player, and he's going. To, you know, you're going to take still the best players available. Eventually, you're going to have to make a decision down the road if you're going to pay that guy x amount or not but that never influenced on okay this position is devalued so even though we got a guy sticking up here way on our board we're not going to we're going to take that player because he's the best player on our board
1: so you would always take the best player in the board regardless of like how how outweighed that position value might be if he's that good
0: yeah like you know what will be interesting and i'm anxious to see how this uh Works out this year because I think uh, Robinson from Texas, the runner, is a very good Mm -hmm. football player. Probably a top 15 talent, at least in my opinion. Yep. But is that position devalued that much? Where How far does he fall? Right. I mean, I think he's healthy. I think he's going to test well. He's been a very productive. But the game has changed. I remember we were uh, going head over heels when Adrian Peterson fell to us, and we had Jester Taylor. Who just rushed for a thousand yards the previous year. But do people devalue the running back position so they can go get, you know, and get lucky and hit on a, I want to say lucky, I'm going to give them credit, a Pacheco in the seventh round or someone like that. And I think this year's running back class, there's a lot of depth in this year's running back class that you can get good value throughout the draft. But if Robinson's staring you at the face and he's the best player, on your board but you don't value that position do you take a lesser player even though that guy's staring at you because of the position so that's what i'm asking you what do you do i'm asking so, you what's I'll, your algorithm i wouldn't say?
2: do so i would so I, I guess my question do you, is do, I,
0: do you have any answers for me i do I yeah i wouldn't question? i wouldn't
2: take i wouldn't take Bijan. i would let someone uh, this year in particular because you mentioned a couple uh, minutes back many minutes back but i think depends, the market analysis i think it
1: depends where you're drafting like if if that's the question at pick number twenty, I think it's a very different question than it is at pick number five, right? Sure. Yeah. So I, I think it depends what draft spot you have because that changes what the opportunity cost is potentially relative to other players.
2: I would I would tr- I love the idea of trusting your draft board. What I'm trying to figure out is when you're putting the draft board together, right? The the Saquon Barkley thing a couple of years ago when Dave Gettleman said. He's a nine, right? He's a nine player in our system. I've, I've only graded two nines in my life. Okay, that's fine. He's the best running back prospect you've ever seen, potentially. Does that mean he's the best player in the draft? Or before you put the board together, you're saying, but he's also a running back. Therefore, that's the 15th best player. I have to put him at 15 or I have to put him at 20. No,
0: you can't. You, I disagree. You cannot do that. You have to grade these players according to how you see them and their ability.
2: But the board, and, but the board's like your draft. There's a difference between your draft grade, which is how good is this player, and your draft right. board, which is your strategy. Right? It's like your this is the tactic we're bringing into the draft and where we would draft these players. Right? Aren't shouldn't those things be different, or are those things different?
0: You yeah, but there's always uh, okay. So and I I haven't developed the draft board, but if you're developing your draft board, who does is there anyone in this draft that is and I'm asking your guys' opinion this, that is equal in ability at a different position than Robinson is. Is Tyree Wilson, is he as good or better at his position as a defensive end than Robinson is as a running back? Is C.J. Stroud better at his position at quarterback than Robinson is at running back? I'm I'm asking you guys that. I think Bijan might be the best running back. He might be the best player at
2: his position – in this draft, right relative to his own position. So on your board, you'd have him the number one overall pick. But I, I wouldn't build my draft board as in like here's the order that I would pick these guys. If in a vacuum, here's the order I would pick these guys. And when I say, draft so you're going board, to
0: punish him for not being a good football player, but because he's a running back, you're going to be prejudiced and put him down your draft board. <laughs> no,
1: yes, I'm, yes, yeah, that's yes. Exactly what, what I'm saying. saying.
0: <laughs> but I'm playing the market, right? I'm playing what you said before. The market
2: analysis is I can get. Um, the UCLA running back, Charbonnet or whatever, if I can get him on day three, tactically, strategically, I would rather say I'm going to miss out on B. John Robinson because these next seven guys in the draft, the drop-off in actual on-field production that's going to help me win is tighter than, say, other positions, right? So that's how I would view it tactically. That doesn't mean I'm not going to say, hey, Bijan's the best running back I've ever had, but I need some sort of order where if given the option between B. John Robinson – and the third best tackle and the third best corner or whatever it is, I'm probably taking the third best tackle
0: or corner because the what if payoff... that player is not as good of a pro as Robinson was.
2: So I think when you when you factor in
0: positional, what value, if that player ends up being a bust? There's no guarantee that player. Your third best tackle is going to be a absolutely, and you 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 bust on that, and then Robinson becomes the NFL's greatest running back ever since. Walter Payton. Then you get fired, I think, it could is happen. how that works. Then you're doing these <laughs> podcasts? Right. But,
2: uh, yeah. I mean, look, I, we're, it's easy sitting in this seat. I think the point is when it comes to positional value is that you, the the difference between the best running back and the 20th running back from an actual production standpoint, which is I, dependent on others, is going to be
0: I'll I'll give negligible. you an example, okay? Yeah. So Kansas City has Patrick Mahomes. They just paid him. Okay, he's. They're not going to. I don't care where you put Bryce or uh, CJ Stroud, or you put uh, Bryce Young, or you put Will Levis. You're not going to draft one of those guys in the first round at quarterback because you have, of course, Patrick Mahomes. So that's just common sense. I mean, people would like look at you like you have three eyes coming out of your forehead if you drafted uh, one of those guys and you have Patrick Mahomes at your quarterback. So I could see that part, but I'm just saying if. You needed a running back, and I, I just remember I, that that draft. We didn't need a running back, although now I'm saying it's a lot different because we running backs were pretty prominent back then. Everybody wanted to run the ball and play good defense. But okay, I think the who was the tackle from Penn State that Arizona took and went right before us? Brown was it? Levi Brown? Levi, yeah. Uh, I can't you know, remember. There seven, was a Brown yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, from, right. uh, from Penn State, yeah. I believe, that went right before. And then I think uh, the Commanders or the Redskins at the time took the safety from LSU. Landry? Landry. Yeah, yeah Landry. So Jacked. so were we wrong? Should we have, if one of those guys came to us instead of Adrian Peterson, should we have taken one of those guys because the running back wasn't a need? I think it depends – again, it depends on how you're
2: evaluating success, <laughs> right? If if the goal so is – Adrian
0: a bust? Is that oh, what you no, saying?
2: I'm saying how are you evaluating success? Are you trying to evaluate success? Are you are, are you only in this game to win championships, right? This comes yes. down from, like, the owner, right? Are you only in to win championships? Or are you only in to get to the final four, which, you know, no, from yeah, there? Everybody, if you're not in this business, if you're not in to try to win a Super Bowl, then why are you in this business? Of course, right? So everything's pointed toward winning a championship, and I mean Adrian Peterson was a hit right he 's a Hall of Fame player he 's a blue he's an mVP in a year where he averaged as many yards as your quarterback in two thousand and twelve that 's incredible that 's unheard of so I think that's still that's still a hit at the end of the day, but you're still trying to play the odds over time right and you know did that hinder other things right Did that hinder your offense where you relied on him too much and didn 't pass the ball enough i mean those are the other I think questions have I don't put.
0: know. I, I We relied on him a lot, and he won a lot of games for us. Oh, I get
2: it. I get it. But the, the Saquon Barkley thing, I think, was a clear poor choice by the Giants. And it wasn't because Saquon Barkley's a bad player yeah, or I mean, anything. It's just because they weren't going to go anywhere until they had a quarterback. And they didn't even reap the rewards of Saquon Barkley until year four. Because part of the running back discussion is the durability aspect.
1: I, I think Adrian Peterson goes into the Quentin Nelson bucket of he was so good that it changes the rules, you know? And he's so far ahead of what the of Levi Brown or uh, Landry that it doesn't matter that they, they might have been slightly ahead position-wise, you know, value-wise because he's so much better that it counteracts all of that, right? Yeah. The question is, A, is Bijan Robinson that player this year? And B, if he is... Like, does it, does it now change the closer to the top of the draft you get because, you know, rookie contracts and, and all that kind of stuff? Because that was the question with, with Quentin Nelson, right? He's a guard. How much impact can a guard have? You're like, yeah, but he's so good at guard that it can have a dramatically disproportionate impact relative to what a normal guard can have. Therefore, it kind of changes all the rules of you draft the tackle before him, you draft, you know, whatever. Like, that, I think, is the issue is if it's that far outside of the norm, sure, you take that guy. If it isn't, though, if it's closer and it's like Bijan is number one, but the guy behind him is pretty close and he's not so far ahead of other positions, then I think it gets more debatable.
0: Yeah, if there we had it where we we didn't grade, you know, number one through number three. 332 or yeah. 256. It was graded in buckets going horizontally. So I would have maybe a running back, a offensive lineman, a defensive end, a safety in a corner in a bucket going horizontally saying they're all equal in ability. Now you take the best player for your need for your team, right? whether it's the running back. Yeah. So that way you never got stuck where if you had player it eighth on your board and then the next player was 16th on your board In a horizontal board they are equal in ability but if you look at it vertically okay it looks like i'm have an owner sitting next to me well you got a guy at number eight you're taking a guy down here at number 16 that makes no sense to me whatsoever but when you put it across like this because they're equal in ability then it gives you the opportunity okay i we got to go get this offensive tackle instead of this running back just, that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Just how high did you guys have Adrian Peterson graded? Because he was one of those guys that was always talked about as he could have come straight into the NFL at a high school. You know, he was he's he's the last generational running back prospect. Like Bijan might be the best running back since Adrian Peterson. That's the kind yeah. of conversation. Well, they having.
0: said the same thing about Barkley, if I'm not sure. mistaken. Yeah. How high did so, you have Peterson
2: uh, graded then? Back then,
0: it was high he was
2: higher yeah that's fine no, he was like yeah 35th the horizontal got, board is what i'm talking about though I yeah think that, we reached the horizontal board is the is what i'm talking about though that's like the he's up at, he was in the top level yeah. we thought he was he was that unique yeah i think it, i think there's a difference between if you know that you know that you're getting
0: a, a blue right the blue chip player right. and blue. that's the debate right um very few times are that top-level, horizontal, because yeah. usually you're saying, I'm predicting, which no one wants to put their arse up on the line to predict that that guy is going to be a future Hall of Famer. It's, oh yeah, he'll be this, but we, we had him up there in the Hall of Fame category. And that's rare that yeah. we put someone up that high in that area. So I think the debate when it comes to positional value is,
2: let's let's if I make this statement and you agree with it, how would you apply it? Okay, if I said you you could have a, a a solid corner, a good starter at corner is more valuable than a blue chip running back. If I made that statement and you either whether you agree with it or not, how would you apply that to the draft
0: process? And then, like, do you agree with that? Um, I don't. No. If if I have the running back here in a in a horizontal board higher, or in a category higher horizontally, and then I need a corner and it's down two levels on our board. Why would I not take the best player available? Because you got a better chance of hitting on that player than you do reaching for a need like you're trying to say that is not as good of a player.
1: See, this is why you're not a GM.
2: I'm not reaching on a need because I've got, I live in this optimum world, Rick, where I'm going (laughs) to fill all my needs in free agency and I'm going to go into the draft and I will. Select the best players. I'm going to fill all my needs in free agency,
1: and yet the phone or re-signing, right? And yet the phone still hasn't been ringing. I don't. I don't <laughs> well, get it.
2: Well, I was in on the Jets' job five years ago, and you know, <laughs> we could have done that if you fill all your needs and then you draft the best player. I I agree with drafting the very the best players available, but I keep coming back to like, how do you factor in some positions do help you win football games more than others? Right, right, and so how do you factor that into who the best players are? right? It,
0: usually are when you develop your board, there is enough talented players that come out in the draft where there will be multiple position players that are graded at the same level on your board that you will be able to fill a need that way or your positional value, yeah, so if you have a running back, like we talked about earlier, a offensive tackle, a corner, a safety. Well, the running back may be devalued, so I'm saying this offensive tackle is as good because he's in the same category as the offensive tackle. Now I'm taking the offensive tackle; it's a better, it's a more needy position or a position that 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 is harder to find.
1: Looking at the quarterbacks in this This is draft.
0: exhausting arguing with you guys. I know. That's what, that's what <laughs> we do.
1: We try and grind people it's
0: down so discussion. they just give up. We should wrap it up soon before he... Uh, I got a lot up. of durability, so we can go.
2: <laughs> <Looking> <laughs> do do at you have the, a tea time or anything to get to here? I know you golf a lot. Uh, no, I saved my whole day for this PFF Let's podcast. just go. Let's go for three hours then. That's what we do here.
1: Looking at the uh, the rookie quarterbacks in this draft, how scared would you be of Bryce Young's size? Because... When I'm at, you know, all these NFL events and you're walking around, the one thing that strikes you is how freaking huge NFL quarterbacks are as a general thing. You know, these guys are all 6'5". They're 230 pounds. And then you get Bryce Young, who might genuinely be smaller than I am. And that would be – How tall are you? Like five eleven, one eighty. That's I think that's what we're talking You're about. You are
2: five here. six. I saw that. I saw the breakdown. You are <laughs> five Somebody,
0: six. I am not five
1: six. Stop it. Stop. Didn't he look I really need like he needed need
0: an official measuring stick in the uh, PFF offices to measure everybody coming in? I will Steve line up says, right says he's probably six six. He's only six four and probably real. <laughs> I am six ten. I am a real six ten here.
1: <laughs> yeah, real. Yeah. So, how scary is it that Bryce Young might be my size?
0: uh I, can you play like him? That no, I'm not, concerned. not at all.
1: My, my tape is much worse than Bryce Young's.
0: <laughs> I, I, I thought Bryce Young was unique, and he may be the exception to the rule, and you don't want to always have these exceptions to the rule. I think the undersized part of it will be concerned more about the durability, but uh, I think he has so many unique skills, and I got an opportunity to see him play live twice. I saw him play in the Mississippi game, and I was down at the Sugar Bowl. And what he does on the field is rare for his size. Um, Just his poise, his ability to move around in his pocket, his vision, his anticipatory throwing ability. He throws receivers open. Um, His accuracy, uh, his playmaking skills. If he was 6'2", 6'3", 210 pounds, everybody, I think, would be saying this is a generational quarterback. There's no question The only reason there's hesitation because of the size. And if we do invest this higher draft pick on this player, is he going to be able to be on the field because of durability concerns or do we waste our pick? Not off his ability, but because he's not playing because he's hurt or injured.
1: And the the flip side of that is, do you think the teams that are scared of that are going to gravitate towards like Will Levis?
0: Well, I'm just saying if – Bryce Young, and that's this what's this is why it's so fascinating. This process, if Bryce Young ends up playing like a Patrick Mahomes and Will Levis ends up playing like a Mitch Tabriskie, then that's you know, okay, I went with the size guy, but I, I always, I mean, Bryce Young to me is just an uncanny ability to play that position that I really had an opportunity to see. Just on the unique instincts that he has for the position that I don't think can be coached. So So I would take it definitely, especially if I'm Houston and I know, you know, I'm learning about this mock draft thing, which is fascinating to me now that I'm in this side of it. That's how
2: you get the page views, Rick. That's how you get all the page views, (laughs) mock drafts.
0: No, I got to rip Ryan Wilson on CBS on our podcast yesterday. Nice. For his mock draft. I'm just the. analyzer now on how bad these mock drafts are <laughs> oh it's great it's great that. <laughs> even when you have a good mock draft everybody tells you it's terrible it's really great <laughs> oh it's yeah a- but that's what drives the site right everybody thinks you're horrible mo- this that makes no sense some of it makes no sense to me at all <laughs> well you're just like any other fan because they, they they think it's all terrible
2: so is bryce young your top quarterback is that the guy that yeah. you would take no, nope. okay. yep, no hesitation, no question, no nothing. I heard you, so the way you described that, right? Cuz you mentioned he's the outlier. Bryce Young would be the outlier. But yes. that's if you're using size as like the baseline, right? But hearing you describe him, what if you flip the script, right? And you said Bryce Young is so good at all these quarterback things. And then you said Will Levis, I don't know where exactly you evaluated him, but let's say you think he's below average at all the quarterback things that you want or average or whatever. However you you stacked that isn't will levis actually the outlier in that in that respect like couldn't you flip the script and say Bryce Young's so good at quarterback yeah he has a negative at size but if you went and drafted Will Levis who's worse at everything he's actually the outlier you're only drafted him because he's 6-4 what if you flip the script on that
0: yeah well if teams just drafted guys because of their size then there'd be a lot more misses yeah that's I, and i'm not going to argue i, I love your Algorithmic attitude, but you still have to watch the tape to figure out if these guys can play or not. And that's what I'm. All I'm saying
2: is, at the end of the day, when you watch the tape, I think a lot of people are going to come to that conclusion, right? Which is that Bryce
0: Young's a better, a much better football player.
1: Which the great, yeah, no, that's all I'm saying.
0: Just too inconsistent. Now you see the flash, like I did more. I really liked him on 21 tape. I didn't like him on this year's tape. Yeah, you know, but you see the arm talent. You see the. Accuracy, although the decision-making is somewhat questionable. Could that be corrected with coaching? Can that not be corrected with coaching? He's a good athlete. He made plays with his feet. You know, then you're going to start, people are going to start making excuses. Well, this year he didn't play as well because he didn't have as good an offensive line or he had a bunch of young receivers. But to me, he had a new offensive coordinator. It's amazing as you go through this how many Excuses or things that you'll people will start to come up with to try to justify why maybe he didn't play as well. You know the thing if we could be are we allowed to be honest on this podcast? Absolutely, full uh, radical so, candor is what we believe in here, Rick. Radical <laughs> candor. I just would was and I don't know if he's injured or not, so I apologize if he was injured. But when you're battling to prove everybody that probably didn't think you played as well in 22, and you opt out of your bowl game and uh, if it was injury I completely understand but then you had an opportunity to go down in the senior bowl and do you think that that would have been with the quarterbacks and nothing against the quarterbacks down at the senior bowl but if Will Levis would have showed up at the senior bowl the spotlight that would have been put on him and what he could have shown with all that attention placed on him that hey don't forget about me I know everybody uh, on the Bryce Young and the C.J. uh, Stroud trade, but there's a Will Levis train coming It's getting ready to hit you right in the mouth. I had an opportunity to go do that. I'd be interested to see if he does anything at the combat or if he waits to throw it as pro day. And maybe I'm old school thinking, and I am correct, and I apologize if he is injured or was not healthy enough to compete in any of that stuff. But from an old school approach, if you have an opportunity to go throw the ball out in the schoolyard, Let's see who wants to go out there and play regardless.
1: I mean, it also feels like he would have looked very good at the Senior Bowl relative to what was there. You know what I mean? Like that was an opportunity to look like a giant amongst smaller people relative to just from a performance point of view. Got to take advantage of those opportunities. To look like a giant? Yes. Among smaller people. (laughs) I don't even. You guys have
0: issues in the office? You guys sound like you're going against each
2: other. Yeah, yeah, all the time. We just, we (laughs) razz each other a lot. It's fun. I don't even know how to write an algorithm here, Rick. You just keep pigeonholing me as this pff
0: nerd uh oh no no i i yeah believe me you're you're right down at my level on the algorithm writing that's why we hire (laughs) a lot smarter people to do that for us you do have some
2: real smart people there yeah i get it um so yeah i'm i'm in agreement right i think i think bryce young i think bryce young's the guy um you have any last questions sam we gotta let rick go at some point
1: no i think that was good how oh yeah let's uh one other element of the Will Levis stuff, right? This is a man that eats bananas without taking the peel off them. He puts mayonnaise in his coffee. How much does that stuff scare you as a former NFL GM? He
0: can spit on a, he can stand on his head and spit wood nickels. If he's going to win football <laughs> games for us, I don't care. Even if it's the former. Yeah, really. Oh, I, I wanted to ask you about just if I virus. had some of my quirks out there, at the uh, I wouldn't, I, I would never got a job. <laughs> let's
2: wrap it up with this. You've been uh, evaluating the draft and everything. You've watched about 150 plus prospects. I believe last time we spoke any players that you like in this draft or guys you want to highlight.
0: Um, Yeah, we do a little segment and I don't know you guys. uh, Again, I appreciate everything that PFF uh, does for me. Uh, But uh, there's just some guys that when you watch tape, you just uh, enjoy watching them on film. And I take out, I know there's going to be all the combine numbers and all everything else coming in, but you know some guys you just sit there and sometimes I just don't see this or the guys kind of make it. but just some guys that really popped out to me and I'll just name a few. I've got a list, uh, but like two running backs that kind of really stuck out to me. Now your algorithm guys may disagree because I'm just going off a of tape, uh, but uh, Eric Gray from Oklahoma. I thought was one of the most violent runners in college football that I saw this year. I know the biggest question will be speed on him. Um, And his counterpart, uh, Braden Willis, the kind of the, I've never seen a tight end H-back take direct snaps uh, as a uh, Wildcat quarterback. And I thought he was just one heck of a football player. What Now you just got to figure out what to do with him. Ty J Spears, who showed up at the Senior Bowl, but when you watch tape on him, especially in that USC game in that bowl game, he was exciting to watch. Good algorithm guy
2: for me. Is yeah. he a
0: good? How's my algorithms compared to my uh, guys I like? I got oh, to check. Have to correct me.
2: The uh, no Spears is good. That's good. He's he's high in my model here. That's the so. only
0: one so far. I got to check. I don't know off the top of my head with Gray. I'm gonna look. All right, and then just a couple looks. of these defensive ends, and I need the. I'm doing this because I want to practice their names. Nice. So, <laughs> Northwestern yeah. coming up. All right. So, Northwestern is my number one. I watched <laughs> him in the Nebraska game. I, you may think I'm crazy, but he reminded me some of Boogie uh, Basham, who uh, Buffalo took when he was at uh, Wake Forest. Um, ah, the Tomua Adabara. Sounds good to me. I haven't tried it. I haven't practiced yet either. <laughs> Better known as Tommy, nice. and. He's
2: like six one with thirty four inch arms or something,
0: right? Is that what? Yeah, I think was and I thought he really popped out, at this, especially when they moved him down into three technique. Yeah, and uh, kind of the other guy that really kind of stuck out to me that I thought was fun to watch was a Kansas State kid, Felix. Are you ready for this? You guys don't have drum rolls or anything.
1: We can put one in. Yeah, we can get one. <laughs> and you, DK, use them uh. I, I feel they're they're back to back in PFFs. Uh, rankings and I feel like Mike did that just to put the names together yeah there you go so our, our
2: PFF draft board which is uh, half half algorithmic but mostly Mike Renner's uh,
1: where do we have those uh, the two defensive ends uh, they are 45 and 46 in the big board there we go I like it yeah so and then,
0: and uh, I think Byron Young the the, the same thing uh, that guy that's going to go inside from Alabama. Which one? There's and two then, Byron uh, not, Youngs, not, which uh, is even more confusing. Huh?
2: <laughs> There's two Byron Youngs in this draft on the defensive line, which is even more confusing. So I'm
0: going with the Alabama Alabama not the, one, the okay. uh, Tennessee one, perfect. And then th- Thomas Einkoom was another Central Michigan kid that kind of popped out to me. It was kind of fun to watch on tape. Now uh, Einkoom, is uh,
2: he's real high in the draft model over here mm. real high really, yes big sleeper strong sleeper for us because i don't think i don't know how high he's gonna go the uh wood draft though. okay the Sight way unseen.
1: the way that he described the uh the oklahoma running back eric gray is interesting because to me the success that isaiah pacheco had this year is based like almost 100 percent off that violent over the top style of running that just jumps out from him relative to any other running back. So if Gray brings some of that to the table, that's that's a pretty interesting uh, sort of thing to highlight. Yeah, Pacheco. Was wow, a steal. if I
0: got approval from PFF boys, I'm kind of like excited about well, my. You, you uh, got approval
1: from us. We have no idea what we're doing.
2: <laughs> uh, well, I'll run my draft model by you off air sometime. You could you could tell me what you think. I'll show you my hit rates and. All right. uh, everything we Just remember, for. they got to play the game. Yeah, well, it's all based off when they actually play. You know that we watch film here, right? <laughs> you know that the grades come from more film watching than anyone else in in the world. We watch 30 man hours
0: per game over here at PFF. Per game. It- and it's girls. not just all algorithms and all the beauty of it. It's not. It's, it is actually the hard, dirty work that it takes to evaluate these guys. It's football guys working over here
2: at PFF, right? <laughs> we
0: are football guys
2: with some nerds as well who just kind of like pull together the football work. Much mm. like the Minnesota Vikings under you, right? There's a good mix <laughs> yep. of, uh, of everybody. Have a lot of people smarter than you work for you. That's the way to succeed. It's genius. Well, you've been very gracious with your time, even though you've got nothing to do, but we appreciate you uh, joining. <laughs> us. Tell, tell everybody where they can find all
0: of your work right now. Uh, CBS HQ, we're doing a lot of stuff. They just started my uh, podcast with Ryan Wilson called With the uh, First Pick, which is going They just upped it to twice a week. We're doing it on Mondays and Thursdays, uh, doing some stuff with a 33rd team, and then I will not let you know what my other consulting jobs are with. But those are the two that are publicly known.
2: How would I go about getting a, a consulting job with a team? How do I get somebody to trust my opinion here during draft season? How do I get? How many teams? How many teams use PFF? All 32. But I want to, you know, I want to make isn't a little
0: Is that is that a consulting gig? I it mean, is. What do you want?
2: I want a little extra side hustle. I want, you know, I'll give them the, a little extra <laughs> secret sauce on the side here.
1: So it seems, you know, a lot of a lot of guys are getting interest in the coaching world or GM, like Dan Orlovsky, right? He's been talked. Teams are talking to Dan based off his work on TV and the things that he's saying. For you, I would suggest the exact opposite approach. Just stop doing Don't say anything on this. Right. Yeah. Don't say a thing publicly. Hide your takes from the world. So that they don't see you, your betting record.
2: I've seen Orlovsky. Orlovsky's out there ranking the top five <laughs> quarterbacks of all time based off film since 2000. Uh-huh. Like, he didn't even see Joe Montana play, and he's getting job offers. <laughs> Orlovsky's got some of the worst takes ever Yeah, and, and he's he, getting job offers. But
1: he didn't set, like, a record-setting pace of game picks this year. Rick, he, I was in real in bad at picking direction. games this year.
2: I was real bad at, at predicting games. <laughs> That's
0: why I love the media. You can be bad. No one cares. Nobody cares. <laughs> you. you won't get <laughs> guess, fired. Guess what? I'll be
2: picking <laughs> games next year, too. It's great. <laughs> god willing of course rick <laughs> thank you so much for your time appreciate everybody go, everybody go check him out and follow him on tiktok as well
0: go find rick on tiktok yeah i'm not on tiktok as much anymore so and i got a twitter handle they made me get oh you're nice. on twitter that's our world yeah yeah i'm a twitter guy now Do you have more followers than us
1: now wow, where are you
0: no i just started it this there's a not oh. rick spielman yeah which one out are here. you is there more than one Rick Spillman Twitter handle? Oh, there's, man, there's, well, there's
1: a whole load of them, but they're like, you know, fake people. Yours just, has got to be the one retweeting CBS, right? That's got to be yeah, you. Yeah,
0: that's the that's me. There we go. Got it. Spielman
1: yeah. underscore Rick. That's Rick. Right oh, that's good.
0: That's yeah. Spillman underscore. That's what that thing is? Yep. Underscore?
1: Underscore. That's, that's how you that's refer how you say to it?
2: it. I'm PFF yeah. underscore Steve, and he's PFF <laughs> underscore Sam, so you could follow us and communicate with us there as well. It's great. Okay. Let's follow each other. Yeah, yeah. That's already sounds, did it. <laughs> that hit the button. great. You're so good at this media world now. It's awesome.
0: <laughs> All right, that Rick. That was fun. We'll All let right you guys. go. Appreciate it. All right. Let's do it
1: again before the draft's over. Thank you, sir. Let's do it. Yeah, let's come back.
0: All right. See ya. Thanks,
2: Rick. We'll see ya.
1: All
2: right, Sam. That was great. Enjoyed that interview with yeah. Rick.
1: Now we're going to debrief. What did he call it? An AR or something? A- AAR. AAR. I forget what that stood for. but
2: Yeah, yeah. something about, uh, you know, reviewing how you did. Yeah. How do you think you did in the interview?
1: How do I think I did? How
2: are your interviewing skills?
1: We're I working think, on those. They were, you know, in the middle. Solid.
2: We got some good nuggets. Got solid good on nuggets. the fairway.
1: Yeah. You know? I, I could improve. Got it on the fairway. Didn't drive the green. That kind of thing. You're trying to go like full journalist these days. Well, I'm trying to, you know, ask some probing questions. Get some interesting answers. That's yeah. the
2: name of the game. I asked him a probing question. I said, who are the top five cheapest owners in the NFL? You did.
1: Yeah. You did. Unfortunately, he didn't answer that. So he didn't. Maybe it maybe was too probing. I did what I could.
2: I thought that was it was a great discussion he's very honest he's uh hates my algorithms but we'll Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he'll come around to that i thought the positional i was trying to you know ask a positional value question (laughs) right like we it's just like a language that we speak here that we speak i don't know just we're we're in tune with that discussion so i'm trying to understand from the inside where does that fall in like where does positional value fall into the discussions. Where does it fall in this the idea of I could choose a running back or I could choose a corner. And I understand the concept of you choose the the best player. Best player available. But before you even rank the players, does it, you know, fall in or whatever it might be.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were talking off air before we came back that I think really the thing you're looking for is the best the composite of the best player available at the most valuable positions. And sometimes that's going to be the guard at number six overall or the running back you know, in the middle of the first round somewhere. But a lot of times it won't be. And it'll actually be the third best corner or the fourth best wide receiver re- versus the number one guard or number one um, running back or something like that. And I think you see that the way a lot of NFL teams are drafting. Like, just simply from the, the, the way positions fly off the board, you know, interior defenders in the last few years have not gone particularly high um running backs like last year Brees Hall was the first one taken at the top of the second round like they I think there has been a natural movement in that direction but I think that is the ultimate question for every one of these guys is what is the answer in that composite
2: yeah that's what I was trying to get to the bottom of like if you could if I could guarantee you a solid corner right a good starter even an average starter or a great running back I I don't what would you take Right. And I know in, in I think Rick kind of answered in more, he a- actually answered in like probabilistic terms too, which is interesting. Right. Like, um, nerds, the analytics people speak in probabilities, but I think scouts are essentially speaking in probabilities too. Right. Like, when you say this guy's a blue or this guy's a nine or, or this guy's a great prospect, you're not only saying, will he, here's the thing he'll return on the field, but there's a high chance that he'll return what we expect. And it, what I'm trying to figure out is how much evaluators only focus on hit rate, batting average, right? I, might, here's my example. Do they focus too much on batting average and not enough on slugging percentage? Okay? Do you get that? So batting average is just the rate at which you hit, right? Get a hit. But slugging percentage values doubles more than singles, triples more than doubles, and home runs more than triples. Is that the more important number? Right? Whereas an evaluator is going to say, I'm four for four. I got, I hit four singles, but there's actually value in the, in going one for four with a home run. Okay, those equate. But instead of going three for four with three singles, hitting a home run is more valuable in slugging percentage. Yeah. So one guy goes three for four with three singles, one guy goes one for four with a home run. In slugging, the home run's worth more. Should evaluators be thinking about that? Not hit rate, but actually the value of your hits.
1: Yeah. I mean, without wanting to, uh, put words in in his mouth i think a guy like rick spielman would be very reluctant to overcome any kind of significant difference in prospect grade with position value type of stuff if it's even you know if it's even vaguely far apart from a this guy is better than this guy point of view it's going to take a lot for them to go well we're not we're going to take the worst quote unquote worst player because he plays a more important position like i think even you heard sort of the, a lot of the ways he was talking about, well, well, what happens if we pass up on the guy that was really good? Like that, I think, we've talked about this before, like I think that's a powerful motivator for NFL teams and, and evaluators. What if we don't draft the guy that's really good? What if we screw that up? Like that, to me, is almost, it, I, it feels like NFL people generally are terrified of that mistake more than they are taking the guy that didn't work out they're terrified of missing the guy that does because of something that was, you know, maybe silly. You know, like, why did we pass up on this guy and it turns out he's amazing? That feels like maybe the most powerful motivator to these guys.
2: Yeah, and, you know, one of the most recent examples, though, is the Eagles had one of the worst player eval misses, right, of the last couple years, which was not taking Justin Jefferson and taking Jalen Rager instead But I think because their overall process is sound, and they're picking the right positions and they're valuing players properly, they overcame it. It, It'd still be better to have Justin Jefferson on the team, but they overcame it. And you know, so I, I don't think it's. I guess if I was if I did get that consulting job, with a team, I think I would encourage the, the decision maker that you know maybe hit rate is less important than. Um, it's not even being riskier, you know, risky appetite. It's just you want to hit more doubles and triples. And it's okay if you miss on players because everybody's going to miss on players, right? It's so,
1: like, it's so multi-layered though, that it's, it's like, it's, it's, there's a reason why the draft is, the hit rate is as low as it is, right? Because the entire thing is incredibly complicated. But, like, when you go back to the B. John Robinson conversation, it isn't just... In a vacuum. It's obviously relative to other positions, but it's also relative to the contract that gets slotted with the first round rookie deals now. It's yeah. not like it used to be in multiple ways, but now, like if you draft Bijan Robinson at number 20 and he becomes a superstar, the contract is good. Like it's actually, it ends up being an absolute bargain for you, even if he's a, he, like, it's like Najee Harris is middle of the league somewhere in terms of contract value. But Saquon Barkley is not because he's drafted two overall. Right. So that whole dynamic changes as well. It's like, even if this guy is a star, at what point does the contract become so much that it's still not worth it? And that I think is, is a changing element to all of this. Whereas, you know, if you get a superstar at number, uh, you know, Sauce Gardner, immediate all pro, if he ends up being that for the next few years, the contract is at number four overall is, is going to be big, but it's still a bargain relative to the rest of the NFL corners so I think that's an extra element in this that you have to factor in as well like at what point up the first round does the contract change the dynamic for these quote unquote lower value positions
2: so there's there's the contract value there's the fact that maybe a star running back isn't as valuable as a good wide receiver or a good corner right the third thing the thing I was trying to get to the bottom of is like where does draft strategy come into play? does it come into the ranking of players does it come into like when you get to the pick so the idea that if Bijan John Robinson is on the board the fact that maybe you have seven other running backs behind him but say close right you have seven second round running backs in this draft when does that come into play in the decision making process when do you say it is actually better to get a lesser corner because we'll fill the running back need later Right, And you know, he hinted at the market analysis aspect. Every team has to do that. You go into the offseason to say, here are the free agents. Here's our current team. Here are the free agents. Here's the draft board. Where do we want to fill our needs? Where's the market? And the market for the running back is so strong this year, both free agency and the draft. So where in the draft process, even if you're at 20 and you're like, in a vacuum, Bijan at 20, 25 is not bad. But maybe in this draft, where there's six or seven other running backs that you'd be happy with in round three like where does that come in the process like where does that, does that show up in the draft board
1: like this <laughs> even even forgetting the fact that there's 31 other teams involved in all this just setting your own draft board with all of these various factors is a freaking nightmare yeah you've got to evaluate all these players then you've got to figure out what the market looks like for all these different positions then you've got to figure out where how the contract slotting in the first round and beyond fits into the the whole thing and you've got to adjust for position value. And then right at the end of it all, you've got to try and figure out where the hell everybody else ranks these people as well so you can adjust for that kind of thing. Like, how long can we wait on this guy because we know other teams don't value him as high? This is awful. I would hate this job. You're trying to sign up to be, yeah, this is fun. This is awesome. <laughs> I, right.
2: But, like, my first step, I'd like to be, uh, you know, college scouting director or something. You know, just start with run the college grades, run the pro grades. Yeah, that part's easier. It is. It's a, it's a lot less stressful. As he said, it's about 20% personnel now, mm. which is uh, – it's 20% personnel, which is 100% of how people evaluate you. Yes. Right? Nobody's evaluating how well Rick Spielman edited the videos that go on Vikings.com, which was all. part of his job, yeah. apparently. Not edited, but had insight, right? Right. But they, they only care about the part that he spends 20% of the time on,
1: which is personal. Yeah, I mean, it is – it's kind of funny. We We just assume – NFL general manager is essentially a personnel guy who also carries the buck if the team doesn't win. But the name is actually a perfect descriptor for what that job is. Yep. General manager. You are generally managing everything in the freaking building. You are the guy that has to pull it all together. It's ironic that we've somehow mentally invented a different role than it actually is, but it's a perfect job description. Just the title. General manager is what that guy does.
2: Yeah. So you really have your hand in everything. Um, and, it you know, it was interesting hearing all the different information that filters up from the pro personnel scouting department, the college scouting department, the analytics team, and then trying to uh, decipher everything. Like you said, decipher the markets and where the strategy is and all that stuff. And then it's – a lot of it's managing up to ownership and then, again, managing – not down, but, you know, managing
1: generally Can't everywhere. I believe you didn't answer your question about who the cheapest owners were. Shocked. I
2: should have uh, – there is a technique to it, right? You don't just ask it directly. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. You're, you're better at that. You've you gotta,
1: got the degree. you got to tease it out. You've got to walk them into it. Walk them into the bear trap. Well,
2: we're going to work. We're going to work on walking our guests into bear traps more so we have more uh, virality with our uh, discussions here. Mm-hmm. That's what we're going for. You can help us too. Give us some uh, good leading questions, some, some you know good ones. Uh, we did get an email question. That was the Jalen Hurts one, so I, I forget who emailed it in, but we appreciate that. <laughs> uh, we'll give you credit whenever I can. When good work. That? That's that? I can look right now yeah very professional oh fair. yeah it was from Andrew Ma Andrew Ma there you go thank you Andrew for your question about Jalen Hurts we didn't get specifically into the value and stuff but we did talk about Kirk Cousins what that you know what what it looks like with the first contract quarterback and all that fun stuff so there you go
1: anything else any other thoughts no none no thoughts all right entirely thoughtless.
2: well that's it happy weekend everybody look at me being on a Friday show here Really mixing it up. Right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll be back again Monday morning with something mock draft related. We're getting into Monday, a mock draft season here. Thanks, everybody. See you